Hello and welcome back to the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad website and I'm joined again by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Psychic. We're going to look back at the two recent friendlies for the senior men's international side against Belgium and Lithuania and also have a discussion about the performance of the under-17s, under-19s and under-21s over the last few weeks. Mark, it's good to talk to you again. How are you doing? Yeah, all good now, uh, Joe. Yeah, best wishes to Phil as well. No, he's not yeah. feeling the best at the moment, but uh, yeah, best wishes, Phil. Get back soon. Yeah, unfortunately, our, our usual contributor, Phil Flanagan, can't join us. I mean, he's a bit under the weather at the moment, and uh, we send him the best wishes. You know, he'd be here if he could, and we hope he recovers soon. Uh, so if we start with the friendly against Belgium, more than two weeks ago now, on uh, March 26th, Mark, the starting eleven that was named was probably the strongest, as strong as it could be put out from the the squad that Stephen Kenny had picked. Perhaps a little surprising that uh, G. Dozy Agbene started, but everyone was pretty happy with it. Looking at Belgium team, you know we were conscious that they didn't pick anyone in the squad squad who was more than fifty caps. But looking down through it, they still had the likes of uh, Michi Bashoi, Dedrick Bayada, Simon. Mignolet, and coming off the bench, you know, we still had the likes of Adnan Yanisai. Obviously, Belgium looking to experiment a little bit with their Nations League games coming up and the World Cup at the end of the year. What did you think of the, the side that Stephen Kenny put out? It looked to me, Joe, as if the selection was very much continued a good form from the World Cup qualification campaign. It was a very contrasting school of thoughts, wasn't it? You have Roberto Martinez... Uh, Anthony Barry on one side really kind of running the rule over squad depth charts, probably looking to identify those tough calls going into a World Cup campaign in November, December in Qatar. And then for ourselves, it was a strong team, Joe. And I have to applaud Stephen Kenny for it. I mean, you want to test yourself out against the best. Now, granted, there was very noticeable absentees from Belgium, but still, you look at that 1 to 11 here, Joe. It was a quality outfit. They're all playing with top-notch clubs in Europe. And I suppose the performance of Belgium, particularly in that first 30 minutes, really warranted why Stephen Kenny, Keith Andrews and all the backroom staff went for the selection that they did because Belgium, I thought, were very impressive in the first 30 minutes. And when they, they took the lead after only 12 minutes from a strike by Michi Batshuayi, maybe a few of the, the crowd would have been forgiven for thinking this might might not end well for uh, Stephen Kenny's men, but I have to say that the way the team rallied, they didn't let the heads drop. They continued playing the the standard of football that we've become accustomed to seeing over the last, well, towards the end of last year, and got a, a deserved equaliser and a, an acrobatic finish from Benny close in, and you know, going in at half time, the Ireland team were definitely nice. Not overall, I mean, there was uh, they definitely had the minority of possession, just uh, just over a third. Uh, compared to Belgium's two thirds, but you know there's attempted 192 passes and completed almost. I'm uh, sorry, more than three quarters of them. So one all at half time, you know, was probably a fair reflection of the the standard of football that we'd seen. Uh, I think most Ireland fans would have been happy with it. And then Belgium took the lead about 15 minutes into the the second half with uh, with a strike for Van Aken. And again, people were thinking, all right, look. It's Belgium. They are a better team than us. We know they're a better team than us. We know they're better players than we do. 2-1, again, did not disgrace the national team. 
uh, Stephen Kenny, you know, has has come in for some sort of criticism for not changing the team and you know to reflect the way the game has been progressing. And he did wait a long time to do it in this game as well. We didn't see the first substitution until 76 minutes in when Adam Brown and, and Will Keane both came on. But Brown proved to be the, the substitution masterstroke, equalising with a with a header, uh, with a, an assist for Albene as well. Very reminiscent, I thought, of his goal against Serbia. Mark, at the end of the game, a draw with the team ranked first in FIFA's international rankings on the face of it, it was a good result you know for the first game the team had played this year you know it seemed to be continuing on from where they left off at the end of last year what was your takeaway from the full 90 minutes no I, I thought it was a very useful exercise Joe I think we were kind of dare I say highlighting the fact that there was no De Bruyne there was no Courtois all of the list of Belgian players but this was a significant test for the folk of Ireland I mean true asset test I would think and um, overall feelings I think Joe was the resiliency of the side so I could have packed up fairly quickly after the Bashuai opener and I suppose Coleman allowing Bashuai on the inside it was a marvellous finish but I think from Stephen Kenny Keith Andrews perspective there is scope to maybe improve upon the Van Aken goal as well 58 minutes as well there, may, there was complete defensive meltdown in terms of the set piece, who was tracking who. But overall, Joe, I think the resiliency, we scored two lovely goals. I mean, the Obeni goal really lit up the, the stadium, didn't it, when that happened? I mean, God, the roar that went up for the equaliser. And then, in fairness, Ireland, they built the pressure after going 2-1 down. The one thing you can't say about this side under Stephen Kenny, they refused to quit. And we kind of saw it again in spades. And I think manager, back himself, have to be credited. The substitutions did work. Manning, I thought, Provided an awful lot of energy. Wilkin as well kind of got himself around a bit. And Brown, how many times have we seen Brown getting into that box? A late run. It was a lovely setup work between Doherty and Obene for that equaliser as well. And I think 2 0 was merited because, I mean, Belgium kind of sat back a little bit when they were 2 1 as well. So I think it kind of showed us, in terms of quality teams, and our defensive shape was pretty decent. I thought, again, the two shots on target. Out of seven from Belgium. I thought our defensive shape overall was pretty decent. I mean, Belgium are going to control possession. We knew that. But we absorbed it pretty well, I thought. Very similar to the Portuguese game, the Serbian game. So, a continuation. So, I mean, I think an awful lot of positives there, Joel, wouldn't you agree? I mean, kind of boded well very much for a Nations League when we're kind of going to be facing very high-caliber opposition like Scotland and Ukraine. Yeah, and I think the team that was put out is probably very similar to the team that Stephen Kenny would like to be lining out for the, the first game in June. With maybe one or two changes, I don't think Keller is going to start. I don't think he did anything wrong in, in the two games. I just think that Bazunu is Stephen Kenny's number one pick for the number one jersey. And we could possibly see Nathan Collins come into defence and Seamus Coleman maybe moved out to that right wing-back position where Matt Doherty was playing uh, after it was announced this week that James McLean is going to miss possibly the rest of the season for Wigan, but he may be available for the national side in June. And we all know James McLean. If there's any possibility that uh, he can pull on the green jersey, he's going to be there. Yeah, if you look uh, 1-11 there, Keller, Coleman, McLean, Duffy, Egan, Doherty, Hendrick, Cullen... Knight, Robinson and Albeni. As I say, just Bazunu and 
Collins are coming in for McLean with Doherty moving out to the left is possibly the only changes uh, I expect to see when we kick off our Nations League campaign in June. At the moment, the first game is scheduled to be uh, at home against Ukraine, but we're going to have to wait and see if that game goes ahead, if possibly the uh, the Armenia game is is brought forward from September, um, and instead we play the Ukrainians at the last game instead of the first. Uh, I was a little surprised that Troy Parrott only saw a few minutes of of game time. I thought you know it might might have been good to see him come on a little bit earlier, coming on so late in the game. I'm not even sure if he touched the ball. And, you know, we made uh, just four substitutions. Thought there might have been a little scope for Mark Sykes to make his debut. Maybe for one or two other goalkeepers that were named, uh, Max O'Leary and James Talbot, to make their first appearance. Uh, but I think the, the assumption was at the time that we would see at least one of them play against Lithuania the following Tuesday night. The late call-up to the squad, Jimmy Dunn, uh, didn't make it to the match day team. Perhaps a little bit understandable. We are fairly well stocked for centre halves, and you know, he, he even though he's playing really well in a QPR team that are challenging for the playoffs at the end of the season in the championship, and we now have uh, one of the coaches from QPR uh, on the, the management ticket. Yeah, I, I wasn't too surprised that he wasn't involved against Belgium. You know, if we move on now to to Lithuania friendly, uh, as I say, the following. Tuesday night, uh, Lithuania coming off the high of a win uh, against San Marino. Uh, you know, it was a 2-1 win for Lithuanians away from home with a, a debut goal for their, their young striker, Tim Vicious. I hope that's how his name is pronounced. Better you than me than pronounce that. Uh, I'd probably murder that, to be fair to all, but uh, great effort. Uh, there was, uh, as expected, there was some experimentation from Stephen Kenny. Seamus Coleman, Shane Duffy uh, moved to the bench. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, Jimmy Dunn didn't make the match day squad. Perhaps a little surprising. Shane Duffy had Benny again started and played the full 90 minutes, which I, I was a little surprised with after his, uh, the performance he put in against Belgium. I thought he might have just run himself into the ground. Alan Brown ret- returns to the starting eleven. Darrow Shea making his first appearance since uh, getting injured against uh, against Portugal back in September, and uh, Nathan Collins uh, making his first his first start for the national side. Obviously, we knew uh, Lithuania ranked outside the top 100 by FIFA in the world. Play a different brand of football to to Belgium, and they really packed that defence tight. You know, I was sitting in the crowd and you know watching them. I was thinking, like, I never thought that Benny was a particularly short player. And when I got home after after the game, I looked it up, and most sides have him around five foot eleven, six foot tall. But he looked short next to the the Lithuanians that were marking him from every set piece, and uh, and the same for uh, for Will Keane up front, just crowded out of it by players that that looked to have two or three inches on him at all times. During the game, we had four goals ruled out for offside. I can tell you that I, the crowd in attendance were not fans of the referee's assistance in, in that game. And uh, even when the, the winner went in very late on, uh, I think my first reaction was to turn or to look at the referee's assistant and hope that Troy Parrott or any other player actually hadn't been flagged offside in the build-up to, uh, to his winning strike. Mark, uh, what did you think of the starting eleven that was named to face Lithuania? And um, what were your impressions of the game? 
team selection obviously had to change up after the Belgian game. Short turnaround. I suppose I was disappointed not to see one of the new caps maybe get any extended game time. I really am impressed by Mark Sykes in Oxford this season. Really has played very well. I think it was missing it. We missed a trick a little bit in the last maybe 10-15 minutes to have a guy of Sykes's ability maybe kind of getting in, creating space between that midfield and Lithuanian defence. Now, granted Lithuania did a magnificent job, I thought, in terms of how they defensively set up. And I, I think this was a nice test for Stephen Kenny's side and probably management to see the work that needs to happen here, particularly when we have to kind of take the onus, take the initiative to really take the game to an opponent. I did feel a bit, it was a bit kind of mixed bag in terms of our attacking play, as you say, with the four offside. But I thought some of the distribution into Will Keane at times, I really felt sorry for Will Keane. For a guy that's really looking to kind of make an impression, I just didn't think the service to him at times was adequate. So I think from that perspective, the distribution, maybe a little bit of panic in terms of our final charge, you know, making runs a bit too late or delaying that pass a little bit too late. There are going to be elements that we're going to certainly work on in the summer. In terms of the overall performance, I mean, look at the stats. We had 79% possession, 21% Lithuania. Lithuania were very compact. Did it really threaten at all? Probably not. And um, we persevered until the end. A few substitutions were made. We did have a good spurt there in the last 10 minutes and probably set up the crescendo with Troy Parrott's very impressive strike, I thought. You know, the leadership there. Again, this is a guy that... Again, again, granted against Andorra, that's a bit brutally frank here, Joe. In the summer, last summer, could have, um, if Parrot hadn't been on form, God knows if Stephen Kenny would be still in a job here. He has kind of, dare I say, produced another absolutely stunner effort, stunning effort. And I think, to be fair to Troy Parrot, he's basically put himself on the window here for Stephen Kenny for maybe future selection. That clinical number nine that we're looking for, it was just an instinctive strike. And we, we can't like filter that. I mean, that is Troy Parrott in essence, you know, really off the cuff. And I was delighted for the guy. I think the reaction in the crowd that say, Joe, you were absolutely in euphoria and when that went in the 97 minute. But I think overall, Joe, I think we got the win. And again, it's more to do with kind of focusing in on the improvements. I mean, these are friendlies after all. And it's really leading up to the Nations League. Another win, the unbeaten record retained. And there is elements to improve upon, but again, didn't get beat. So I think we have to move on, take take the positives, take the learnings, move on to the next game. Exactly, and uh, that was the way to look at it. We were set up in a very similar formation to the way we played against Belgium with a 3-4-3 wing-backs and then two, I suppose you call them, uh, withdrawn strikers behind the main striker, uh, Benny making the runs that he's become known for into the box and should have scored at least once uh, except for the intervention of the, the referee's assistant. I felt that the changes that might have been needed weren't coming. I think we played more than 40 crosses into the box and you know when your strikers are clearly shorter than the defenders that they're facing, maybe that's not such a, a great idea. You know, Lithuania were playing, playing a very compact 5-4-1 formation and rarely ventured out of their own half. You know, they were looking maybe to catch something on the break or uh, from a from a set piece uh, to score against Ireland, but uh, you know, they uh I don't think they finished with a shot on target, certainly not in the second half. Yeah, um, no shots on target for the full ninety here, Joe. So Yeah. So 
we were disappointed that Conor Ronan wasn't involved in the first game against Belgium, but you know we kind of felt that with him not being involved in that game, he'd definitely be involved against uh, against Lithuania. But he wasn't. Again, he he missed out on the match day squad, and you know having a, a player of his abilities on the pitch to to get past players to to play the ball between the defence and midfield, I think he he could have made uh, a difference to the side. And as you say. Oxford's Mark Sykes also didn't come on to, to make his first appearance. I think there was a little bit of a missed opportunity there. But like it's it's hard to criticise a win. And if half of the goals that been ruled offside uh, had gone in, then it would be a you know, it would have been a three 0 win and we'd all be delighted with the amount of, of goals that we had scored. You know, I am happy that the team are creating chances. I'm happy that we're defensively a lot more solid than we, we have been. You know, we've five of our last six games we've kept a clean sheet. And I think we you know we're we definitely have uh, a squad now of about nineteen players that I think Kenny's gonna to look to build the team around when the UEFA Nations League starts in June. But like I said, especially the Lithuania game, it does feel a little like a missed opportunity. You know, we had two goalkeepers on the bench, Max O'Leary and James Talbot, that, with the grace of respect, are unlikely to be involved in the, the national team. And it was only because Bazunu and Travers were not available that they were called into the squad. I thought maybe given one of them 45 minutes against Lithuania, it would have been a boost to the player. It would have been another player added to the core squad with international experience. I could have played in goals for the last 20 minutes against Lithuania and it wouldn't have made any difference to the results. So just say to bring on Talbot, it would have been a boost to not just to the player, but to the, the, the League of Ireland as well. To see someone from the League of Ireland playing under a, a League of Ireland manager in uh, Aviva Stadium. And for whatever reason, it didn't happen. But look, this is it's been picky. Um, uh, overall, I thought the, the play in both games was was excellent. As I say, we've picked up from where we left off at the end of last year. I think the squad is playing very well under the manager. It's probably too soon yet to see if the changes in backroom staff um, have had any impact either on the standard of play or set pieces or you know selection. But we might see some of that later in the year. But you know, we're looking forward now to the games in June. And there would be two fascinating contests as well, Joe. You know, we we talk about Lithuania there, but I mean, Armenia, for me, very technically gifted side. They will be aggressive, they will be physical, they will be well compact, but they will have a counter-attack threat. So I think from an Ireland perspective, we're going to have to be top for a game, even to compete against Armenia and then Scotland. It's a local derby game, isn't it? I think you throw the form book out the window there. I think the atmosphere with the Tartan Army coming to Aviva, that'll be exceptional. I, I think the team will be well motivated for that. Um, so I think they're two very exciting games here, Joe, and we talk about these Mark friendlies, but I think they serve the purpose. They, and, and fairness to the likes of Sykes, Ronan, Max O'Leary, Talbot, training sessions-wise, John Hughes is coming in. There's transitional things going on here, and I'd be very interested to see what John Hughes' involvement will be and what kind of hallmark of his coaching will be on this team, particularly in June, because you'll have him for a good week and a half, two weeks. I know there could be players on playoff duty with various clubs in Championship League 1, League 2. But I think beside the point, I'd be very fascinated to see how John Hughes really does snap his authority on the game 
uh, and on the squad in terms of how we're going to attack, particularly from a mi- middle third midfield perspective, because he was a very much a midfield tempo general, particularly when he was with Coventry. I remember him as a player, he was very, very good in terms of setting tempo rhythm, particularly on that Cullen, Josh Cullen kind of position. So I think like Josh Cullen should get to the next level here with a guy like John Hustis involved. So no, I'm very excited and I think we're all going to the game, aren't we? So myself and you, definitely to the, the Scottish game anyway. That to be great. Yeah, uh, looking forward to that. We might look to organise some kind of broadcast around that as well, but that's more than two months away now. Just looking at the results of the teams we'll be playing, uh, Armenia had a one win against Montenegro, even after they had a player sent off very late on. Uh, led for pretty much all of the game after scoring in the 19th minute, uh, and then fell 9-0 to a, a Norway side that includes Haaland up front and uh, Odegaard in midfield. They had another player sent off, but this time at the beginning of the game, when uh, Havanissian went off on the 17th minute, and look, when you're playing away from home against a team with a striker of the a genuine world-class talent like Erling Haaland, it's only going to end one way. So I wouldn't read too much into the 9-0 defeat. Uh, I would probably look a little bit more at the 1-0 win against Montenegro to see what we're going to be facing in June. Scotland finished with two draws, one all at home against Poland and two all away against Austria. They actually led 2-0 in that game going into the last 15 minutes, but they made a, a load of substitutions. And uh, I didn't see any of the game, but you'd have to imagine that the amount of changes that they made, six of them uh, in the second half probably did affect the size. And again, away uh, away from home, uh, Austria with the home crowd behind them probably did make, did make uh, an impact on this on the team. And uh, one all draw at home against Poland, and you know again led with uh, led one nil. Uh, Kieran Tierney, who may not be fit to face Ireland in June, uh, scoring. Uh, until a very late penalty from Piacic equalised for the Polish team. The UEFA Nations League Group 1, uh, I think it's going to be a really good challenge for Stephen Kenny's side. There doesn't seem to be much between the four teams. And, uh, yeah, um, uh, looking forward to the games uh, in June and to to meeting up with yourself, Mark, and uh, and also with Phil. Yeah, absolutely. I think Scotland would be a fascinating watch because... They typically go three four two one as well, uh, Joe. I mean, Craig Gordon has been pulling trees out with parts Melodian this year, hasn't he? I mean, he's he's established as the first choice keeper. I mean, it'll be fascinating to see if Tierney's not going to make it. Now I know Robertson hadn't featured really in that international setup, probably slots in. But I saw Scott McTominay back in the back three against Poland, particularly. I think the Polish game at home is probably the one where we need to really run the rule over the side. I did notice, and I think Steve Clark has an awful lot of time for Patterson, who's gone from Rangers to Everton, hasn't really got a look in. Can't really be blamed for Everton, noise can he? But, I mean, he's kind of playing really out and out as a kind of, the, the width there, Gilmore, McGregor, Taylor. And then he has a very exciting John McGinn and Ryan Christie there, providing a bit of ammunition for Che Adams, who's really grown into the club scene this season with Southampton. So, they'll deserve massive respect, Joe. And, again, these are going to be lively contests for us. And I think we've built up the form, haven't we? The confidence is there. But I think this is going to be another step up, particularly with Scotland. And I think Armenia could be the banana skin here, uh, Joe. I think Scotland takes care of itself in terms of we know what to expect from these guys. I think Armenia looked 9-0 against Norway. But I think the the 1-0 against Montenegro, and considering how Montenegro had gone 
in terms of the qualification campaign, the, the World Cup qualifiers between Italy and Portugal. I think massive respect has to go to uh, Armenia for that result. I know they went down to red, a red card very late. But I think we'll notice with them, as I said, the organisation, they will be technically very good. They're always very good. In fairness, Joe, I'm really looking forward to seeing the Scottish game. And Scotland will be buoyed up. I don't know when they're going to be playing Ukraine. But again, potential winners here go to face Wales. You know, another 90 minutes away from World Cup. So they'll be absolutely keyed up. So we're going to be meeting the best Scottish side here. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Another uh, Irish slant on uh, Kieran Tierney's uh, absence for Scotland and also for uh, his club side Arsenal is that it's meant that uh, under-20 defender Mazzino Gungbo has been promoted to the Arsenal senior team and was named on the substitutes bench for them against Crystal Palace on Monday. So there's a possibility that we could see the first Irish player to appear for the Gunners in 11 years since Connor Henderson played in a, an FA Cup replay for them in 2011. Yeah, he's very highly regarded as he, Joe, from the underage, the Premier kind of League reserve games. He has really featured fairly well for Arsenal, so no surprise that he's come in you know, into the squad and maybe he gets a game or two, hopefully by the end of the season. But again, that top four premiership battle, will he get that opportunity? But he might do. You just never know. Best of luck to the guy anyway. So if we move on from the senior team to look at the fixtures that took place during the, the international break, we start with the under-17s. How do you fancy the squad went to Portugal to face the host Portugal uh, Bulgaria and Finland in their in their qualifiers for the 2022 UEFA European Under-17 Championship. After topping their qualifying group that was held in, in, at home in Cork back in October, the Ireland Under-17 team definitely would have fancied their chances of going through to the, the final tournament in a group where the top two qualify for the, the tournament being held in Israel. They faced Port, the host Portugal in the opening game and lost 4-1. Okay, it's a bad result on the face things, but Portugal have always had a very strong underage setup, and you you had to think that getting at least one win from the remaining two games against Finland and Bulgaria would put us in a very strong position to qualify for the finals. But unfortunately, uh, it's uh, finished with a, another loss against Finland and a, a, a late draw against Bulgaria, coming from two 0 down to draw two all. Marco, I was actually very disappointed, especially with Finland game, taking the lead twice through Franco Ume, and Finland pegged us back twice with equalisers. Their second two goal, their second and third goals especially came from bad mistakes in defence. Watching that game, you felt that Ireland never should have lost that game and probably should have won. Uh, I thought the, the Finnish goalkeeper was outstanding on the day. Just looking at some of the, the players that were in the team, Inter Milan's Kevin Zeffi, everything was going through him. Ume up front definitely seemed to have the measure of the defenders that were around him. But two mistakes, two bad mistakes cost the team, and you could tell by their reactions at the final whistle that they had thrown away their opportunity. The Bulgaria game then was on the, the 29th, the same day as the Lithuania friendly. So... I didn't get to see it, but going two down at half time, okay, they came back strongly to draw with two goals to draw to all. Um, and as it transpired, another goal might have been enough to take the team to the tournament. It, it, it has to go down as a, you know, as a disappointment for a, a talented group of players, but 
possibly not an organised team yet from, from what I saw. Yeah, I, I think, Joe, there's definitely talent and potential there, potentially in that final third. I mean, you talk about Franco Uma, uh, Kevin Zeffi as well. They were very prominent. But I suppose these elite group, you know, it's so cutthroat in terms of the qualification here. I think it's a great learning curve for the players. I think to the management as well. Just in terms of this is international football, and particularly in that Finland game when you lead twice, and as you say yourself, defensively not on it, particularly in the last 30 minutes, all credit to Finland. They posed the questions, Aaron coughed up errors defensively, and they were punished. So I think for players' development, I think it's a good learning curve, I would say, Joe here. Disappointing that we didn't get through. Now, granted, Portugal have been absolutely immaculate in this age group for many a decade. I think Joe Veloso, I think, is going to be an absolute star in the making. I mean, what a stunner of an opener against uh, Ireland to, to, to kick it off at home uh, for Portugal. Never looked back, really, to be fair. Marco Mahoney was very good, I thought, in that Portuguese game. But going back to the Finnish game, I think that's the one that's probably the one that probably hurts a little bit because being in control for so long. But Finland posed questions. And I think the Bulgaria game, at least the squad had a bit of fight in them. 2 0 down. They could have really packed it in, uh, but they didn't. And I mean, in fairness to uh, Rocco Vata and also to Sam Curtis as well, maybe an unlucky there not to get the win at the end. But again, this group stage didn't really lie, really, did it? Um, and it's just a learning curve, I would say, to management players. I think there's quite a few nice, talented players here. Just need to be refined. Need to get a little bit more game time now with their clubs. And then come back a little bit stronger. You know, we obviously want them to basically be competing under 19s, under 21s. But I think overall, uh, Joe, yeah, I'd, I'd kind of be a little bit more pragmatic. The, the long-term picture here is the School of Hard Knocks right now. The Finnish game definitely was one of them. And as long as players take on board what happened, learn from the mistakes, then we ha- it has to bode well for our kind of uh, youth development of these players going forward. I think there, there's definitely a lot of talent in this team, in this squad. If you look down through it, as we've mentioned, that Kevin Zeffi is at Inter Milan, Ted McLaughlin is at Villarreal, I think. Uh, Vada is highly thought of uh, at Celtic. Carl Heffernan has just gone unknown to, to AC Milan from Cork City and will be looking to make a permanent transfer uh, in the summer. So there's the spine of a, a team just from those players alone. And, uh, you know, at the end of the year, when they go into the under-19 championship qualifiers, this experience is going to stand to them. So if you look at the under-19 qualifiers, uh, if anything, this team were, were even in a, a more difficult group than the under-17s played. They faced the host England, Portugal and Armenia. Uh, Portugal were the number one seed. So we wanted to avoid them completely and we drew a very strong England team. But unfortunately, you know, two losses in the opening two games. England scored early through uh, Spurs' Dane Scarlett, who's very uh, highly thought of at White Hart Lane. But, you know, the Ireland team uh, did manage to equalise through James Abankwa, who was going to be moving to Italy this year, before England fired back with two goals from Aston Villa's Kearney Chukumika. Going down 3-1 at home to the host, to a very strong side. You know, it's it's unfortunate, but scoring set the team up for Portugal in their second game. Uh, and actually took the lead and led for uh, a long period of that game with Celtic's 
Johnny Kenny scoring in the 25th minute before four late goals in the last 15 minutes. Kind of similar to what happened to the the under-17s in their game against Portugal put the, the team down to a, a 4-1 loss and uh, a, a, unfortunately out of the tournament at that stage. But they rallied in the final game, facing the, the weakest team in the group in Ar- Armenia, winning 4-0 with goals from Brighton's Andrew Moran, Keen Hayes, Anselmo Garcia McNulty, possibly the best name in football, and Evan Caffrey. Look, the under-19s were in a, a very tough group, and not only that, only the group winners were going to go through to the, the finals being held uh, this summer in Slovakia. England at home were always going to be a tough prospect and uh, you know, they went through with a 100% record only conceding that one goal that Ireland scored against them, scoring nine and they'll be looking to to win the tournament uh, this summer. Again I think that there's a talented set of players for this under-19 setup. we have Banco as, as we said is, is moving to Italy Teo Adaramola has been involved with the first team at Crystal Palace and Samuel Garcia McNulty training with the first team with Wolfsburg in Germany. Boston Law was very highly thought of at Celtic after winning Academy Player of the Year at Watford. In midfield, Jack Henry Francis. And then up front, Johnny Kenny after moving to Celtic from Sligo. Andrew Moran with Brighton and Ali O'Neill with Fulham. They were in a very tough group. Um, and well, kind of looking for honest, the results probably did go the way we expect them to go. Um, but I think that again, like we said with the under 17s, the experience is going to stand to them. Um, and I don't know how many of the team are going to still qualify for the under 19s next season. Uh, how many of them are going to be moving into the under 21s? But I think again, there's a very solid squad of talented players in this age group. Yeah, I completely agree, Joe. And to, in fairness to the under 19s, they gave it a good goal. I mean, if you have England under-19s and Portugal under-19s, and they're infamous for producing massively talented youngsters in these these countries, I think the fact that we ran England close, to be fair, and that's the biggest compliment to him uh, give Tom Moen and the side, that they really did give England a big scare. I mean, after Dane Scarlett's goal, I think England would have been forgiven to say this could be very routine. But you say James Bankwell's equaliser was very well worked. And as you say, it required two goals from Chaku Mikas, and he's a very highly talented prospect from Aston Villa as well. So <clears throat> the talent there was on show. I mean, we gave it a good goal. Johnny Kinney hit the post as well, but the game in the melting pot as well. And that, and then I think the Portuguese game was complete ball break, wasn't it? I mean, we get the goal early from Johnny Kenny, but Portugal just were grinding us down, grinding us down, and I mean, we were kind of still in the game until 78 minutes and. Again, we had to kind of push at the end, and we were caught rotten a little bit at the end. But I think nothing away from the effort of the players, Tom Moe and the management staff. I thought they were very well set up. And I suppose we have to kind of mention Dan Rose as well. Dan Rose is playing his football in Schalke as well. And, you know, even though, you know, he's had leaked seven goals in three games, I think he quit himself quite well as well. Um, the Armenian game 4-0 really did show off an awful lot of good skill set in final third from Ireland. I think overall, Joe, I think we can be relatively happy in terms of the, the, the performances here. It was always a tough ask. And I think there is an absolute set, a group of players within that under-19 that are ready to go. They're ready to go for the under-21s to the next qualification campaign. I think it bodes very well. Very good footballers, very good on their feet. 
going the Stephen Kenny ethos, really, kind of defensively wise. I was very pleased to see how they were playing from the back. They were taking a few risks, obviously, against very quality, high, highly drilled opponents. But I think it bowls well, Joe. Again, I'm probably a broken record in this podcast episode. I think it's just a learning curve for these guys to experience what they've experienced, take it on board, go back to their clubs, start impressing again, earn contracts or look for more football and then come back again stronger for the international scene. Uh, I think that's all going to happen in the next few months. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Mark. You could possibly see one or two of these players in the first team picture with their, their club size and uh, with the under-21s before the end of the year. I do hope that the underage sides remember that bad times don't last. Um, so these experiences will count to you. Um, we finished on a high with the under-21s. Jim Crawford's team went to the Boras Arena in uh, in Boras, facing uh, one of the rivals for the top two positions in the 2023 UEFA Under-21 Championship. It's a Sweden team that they'd beaten 1-0 in their, their last game in, in November with a late winner from Ollie O'Neill. A Sweden team that's up until this point been unbeaten at home with 4-0 wins against Bosnia, 3-1 win against Montenegro and 6-0 against, uh, against Luxembourg. And you know the team performed uh, very well indeed, coming away with a, a 2-0 win. Ross Tierney opening the scoring early on and Tyreek Rice coming off the bench to score a, a very late winner, putting themselves in a, an excellent position ahead of the the final set of fixtures coming in June, the Ireland team finds themselves a point behind Sweden with a game in hand. Um, and Mark, you have to say that they have recovered well from uh, the draw against Luxembourg. And I think now that they should be looking to at least make the playoffs at the end of this qualifying series. Absolutely, Joe. I think it was a fantastic, fantastic result over in Sweden. Another quality result for an under-21 Republic of Ireland side in Sweden. Quality performance from goalkeeper all the way up to our kind of front three. Thought it was a really good composed performance. Now granted, I think there was a bit of a penalty shout for Sweden that should have been given. Wasn't during the game. But in all honesty, like we started Brian Maher in goal. My God, this guy is just, he's growing in every game I see him play. Just so dominant. His leadership, his cross-taking ability, his shot-stopping. Joe, I think he's just a phenomenal talent right now and growing from strength to strength. The fact that we had uh, Gavin Kilkenny in the side as well, I thought was very good. I know he's had a bit of a tricky few months with AFC Bournemouth, but again, I thought he really impressed. I think Tierney as well, quality player and delighted for Tyreek Wright as well. He's been very prominent in a few of the games earlier in the qualification campaign and then to come on for O'Neill after 64 minutes and uh, the composure I suppose his initial effort was saved but he remained very calm he started home for the second to secure the win I think it's a very very good win And but I suppose Joe we have to caution ourselves here the job is not done I mean we do have Bosnia Herzegovina and Montenegro at home we just have to make sure of business you know you know, take these games on their merits the away game in Italy will probably see Italy probably advance as group winners here but we just have to take care of business, particularly in these games. Be professional, be compact, get the results, you know, because we have slipped up, particularly Luxembourg, in this qualification campaign. So I think Jim Crawford will be one of the first people to tell that squad, particularly that these games, it's in our own hands. I mean, destiny is there for the playoffs at least. So I think it's been great, great turnaround from the squad and management. 
And uh, yeah, kind of bodes well for June. You know, very exciting. And hopefully a packed house in Tala uh, for those two games. I think the under-21s definitely deserve it. Given the turnaround, you know, midway through the campaign, we were really lamenting the fact that this could have been an opportunity lost. The fact that they've beaten Sweden home and away have ourselves in a magnificent position. So I think uh, from that perspective, let's pack it out in Tala, get the job done home, and then the Italian game. Let's see where the cookie crumbles. I think we do have an advantage in that final game uh, away to Italy in that they could be already qualified from their previous fixture, which is uh, away to Sweden on the ninth. So we could be facing a team that's they've already qualified and they might be playing, as they say, playing in their sandals. The under-21s, they've recovered from two pretty horrific fixtures in drawing with Luxembourg and uh, and losing to Montenegro and really have fought back. The two wins against Sweden have put them in an absolutely excellent position to go on and now and at least reach the playoffs. Just from the from the squad that was selected, I was happy to see Mipo Odubico return. If you look at the starting eleven, uh, there's a lot of first team experience there. Uh, you know, Leo Connor, uh, Mark McGinnis playing regularly with Cardiff, Oshin McIntyre in in Scotland, Jake O'Brien out on loan at the moment, Connor Coventry pushing for promotion with MK Dons. Gavin Kilkenny seems to have faded from the first team picture at Bournemouth for some reason, but. Could be playing Premier League football next season. You know, with that win, um, and with the two home fixtures to come against the Montenegro team that are already eliminated and a Bosnia team that, you know, we can put out of contention with a win. You know, we, you'd really hope to at least make the, the playoffs. The best second ranked team, uh, will go straight to the finals. And at the moment, that's the Netherlands. I don't think we'll be able to match their points total. We would encourage all our listeners to try and make at least one of the two home games in June and um, you know roar the team on to qualification for the Under-21 Championship for the first time. Oh, absolutely, Joe. And I think, uh, you know, going back to Italy, I mean, their previous game was against Bosnia-Herzegovina um, in Triste, and it was a one nil win. Early goal from Rovella was very highly sought. Um, again, I think the story of that game was uh, Bosnia's kind of defensive performance. You know, they did well, an awful lot of Italian pressure during that game. So, I mean, there'll be no soft touch for Ireland uh, in June. But I think, as I say, for any of the listeners out here, it's a good, good night of entertainment for the under-21s. They play a nice brand of football, play the right way, go support the guys, and you could be making the difference there uh, for a playoff push for the boys. We'd also like to wish the women's senior team the very best of luck in their qualifier uh, against Sweden next week. Uh, we're recording this on Friday night, so possibly not published before the qualifier itself takes place. But we do wish Vera Powell and all the team the best of luck against uh, a very strong Swedish side. Absolutely concur with that, Joe. It's kind of a pivotal time for them in terms of the qualification campaign here. And I mean... The Swedish game will be uh, a tough task, but again, Vera will have the team well set up. And I think the team, in fairness to Lysa Katie McCabe and others, I think really will kind of embrace that fixture. And you never know, Sweden are there on their merits, but, you know, Ireland have been progressively improving. So, you know, we've kind of mixed it against likes of Australia, Germany as well. So we kind of know what to expect here from Sweden. Very kind of systematic in terms of the way they play their game. So I think best of luck to Vera and the team and you never know, result might be there for Ireland. 
the women's team were unlucky to lose to uh, an own goal to Sweden back in uh, in October, but uh, they've recovered well with a, a one-all draw with Slovakia coming from behind and then trouncing Georgia 11-0, who Sweden have since beaten 15-0. Ireland are still second in the group, 11 on points with Finland, but with a game in hand over them and two games in hand over Sweden, who are uh, streaking away with 18 points at the top of the table. But I think we should be looking to at least make the playoffs from that group. Oh, absolutely. I think if we get anything off Sweden, I think that'll be kind of real bonus territory, I would say, and could really be uh, put massive pressure on Finland. I mean, the Finnish game at home is real kind of six-pointer really there as well, because I think Sweden could clinch work of qualification against Ireland as well, so they'll have plenty of motivation. But I think Fira has really been kind of mentioned about this side really testing themselves against the best. Sweden are one of those top-ranked teams, and I think, to be fair, we're uh, kind of in a good position. Good headspace going in there, and best of luck to the ladies. Uh, hopefully they produce a good performance. Yep, um, definitely. You know, there's uh, there's only one remaining home fixture for the for the guards in green. That's Finland in September, and I hope to, to, to make that myself. I'd like to thank Mark for joining me for the discussion tonight on the international fixtures that took place at the end of March. We're looking forward to the Nations League games that are coming up in June. Uh, we'll be previewing them in a couple of weeks' time. Good roundup there, Joe. I think, you know, disappointment for certain underage teams with the Republic of Ireland, but the 17s and 19s. But I think learning clever curve of plenty there, under-21s, destiny in their own hands, and... Uh, yeah, Stephen Kenny and the senior side continue to go from strength to strength, and hopefully with Vera Powell and uh, the women's senior side, we get some nice positive results there in the next week or so. So best of luck to them. I am planning something a little different before the next the next podcast episode is published, so look forward to that. And uh, like I said, we're recording this on Friday, April the 8th, so I'd just like to wish everyone a uh, a happy Rex Manning Day. I'd like to thank Mark for joining me again. And uh, I'd like to send our wish wishes to, to Phil. Uh, I hope he gets one soon. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Bye-bye.